Blog Talk Radio. Once again, welcome, friends, to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. I am your host, your groove mistress, and your spiritual advisor, Madam Perry. But you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, Perry. I don't care. I'm just happy to have you here, and I'm happy to be here. Um, We've got so much fun going on the show. First of all, let me thank everybody who's been subscribing uh, on different platforms, uh, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio. Thank you all so very much. It's because of you that I can get fantastic guests like the ones we've had recently, the ones we got coming up, and tonight. By the way, uh, you know, we recently had um, – how long ago was it we had D.C. Glenn, uh, the Brain Supreme, from Tag Team? Uh, well, anyway – He's going to be coming back soon. Next week, we have Lynn Barker. And if you don't know the name Lynn Barker, you might know the name D.C. Fontana. Uh, They were both writers. They've worked on Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Twilight Zone. Unfortunately, D.C. Fontana passed away about four years ago. But Lynn Barker is still working hard, and she's going to be on here. She's got a book that she and D.C. wrote together, Futurist Rex, uh, that they were working on before DC passed, and she's going to be talking about that as well as a lot of other cool stuff that she does. Uh, And tonight, tonight's guest, I'm so psyched about. He is a, oh, I got a long list here, writer, filmmaker, playwright, arts therapist, pop culture historian, screenwriter, and that's just uh that's just getting started so i'm going to go ahead and bring him into the genie bottle now hope he's got a nice cushion to sit on and welcome matthew clickstein thanks for having me i appreciate it i am delighted to have you here matt um one of the uh, uh, first guests that was ever on the show went back and told people, I've been to Madame Perry's salon. It looks like the inside of Jeannie's bottle. So after that, most of the guests know that there's going to be a nice fluffy cushion to sit on. And uh, sometimes people fly in and out of the Jeannie bottle. I don't know. But we're just happy to have you here. And, um, I don't, you know, it's like I could spend half the time just describing or, or naming a lot of your fantastic work. But I don't want to just be me talking, so I am thrilled. Let me just say, too, if I could read uh, on HarperCollins Publishers page, they describe you and say Matthew Clickstein's writing has appeared in such publications as Wired, New York Daily, uh, Split Cider, the author of Slimed and Oral History of Nickelodeon's Golden Age, the screenwriter of Sony Pictures Against the Dark, which stars Steven Seagal, director-producer of the Mark Summers 
documentary on your mark. Currently co-host the podcast Nerds, based on his book Nerded, Nerding Out, and is developing. You are developing a new TV series, and we've got a whole lot more to go. So I just want to say, uh, since we didn't get to talk very long before the show started, um, if there is anything that you want to talk about that I don't bring up, uh, you know, we don't have a publicist-prepared list of talking points, but if there's anything that you want to bring up that I don't ask you or that somebody calling in doesn't ask you, let me just say this, Matthew. I've had herding dogs for 40 years. You can easily herd me uh, with a segue. I know you have a clever segue ready at all times. Or you could just say another thing I want to talk about. I'm not very, I'm not the sensitive type. And if you've noticed the southern accent, I promise I won't say bless your heart. Go ahead, okay? Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay, great. Um, one thing I noticed is um, you were on an audio book that Beth Lapidus made, so you need to decide. So uh, now I don't see stand-up comic anywhere or improv on any of your resumes. Is that how you know Beth? Um, I actually have always been a comedy nerd ever since I was a kid before that term even existed Uh, as a very young man uh, while I was still in elementary school. I was extremely interested in vaudevillian comedy and the Marx Brothers, Three Stooges, George Burns. Uh, I was probably the only 13-year-old boy in the country in 1994 that had a signed picture of Phyllis Diller on my wall. I actually (gasps) wrote to her and, and, you know, I was just a kid. And I was a big fan of hers. Uh, so Lenny Bruce, you know, even before I understood a lot of what he was saying, um, my mother, who raised me, uh, was an ex-hippie and was very open about what I could listen to and watch and read. There was discipline there. But she understood that I was sophisticated enough at a very young age to understand what I was absorbing and that I would find something in a lot of these great masters, even if it was a bit purple or outre or adult, that would really help with my development. So I've always been a big comedy nerd. Now, um, I did do a little bit of my own stand-up comedy at one point um, when I was living in Lawrence, Kansas for a few years. Uh, There was a little bit of a comedy scene that was growing up there. Uh, Lawrence, just outside of Kansas City, actually where the college is, University of Kansas. And just my group of friends were all the local fan of comics who were doing all these shows all the time. And I, I found it infectious. It, it, it was really just almost kind of this uh, roving group of about 20 or 30 kids that would change, some from Kansas City, some Lawrence proper. And it, it was my group of friends. It was just what we did. And so I, I'd pop up at there every now and then. Um, I was actually featured in the shows on the poster and everything as, as, as a kind of special event that they did in one of the shows that they would sometimes do. Uh, so I got into it. As a kid in elementary school, I also did sort of a stand-up comedy act every year through uh, elementary school, click theme comedy. But it was really just basically memorizing and reading three long story <laughs> jokes and then would recite them. But um, So that was what I did <laughs> for the talent show every year. So I, I've always had that bug. Um, never really pursued it. The way I met Beth real quick um, was I was originally working on a different project or developing a different project. It's rare I don't see projects through to the end. I'm, I'm very persistent. Sometimes projects of mine might take years to get done, but I actually do it. Um, and I was developing this. This was one project that I, I it wasn't really going where I wanted it to go. Certain things weren't coming together with it. I was working with a literary agent at the time, 
he was agreeing with me that we were starting to hit some dead ends with the subject. But in interviewing some people and in developing that particular project, I came across Beth Lapidus's manager uh, talking with him about a few other things, some of his other clients. And he mentioned Beth to me, and I had actually not been familiar with her um, previously. So I looked her up and was really blown away by her background, the fact that she was really one of the pioneers of alt comedy back in the late 80s, early 90s, before people really were even using that term. And she had worked with, you know, everybody in that group of comedians uh, on the West Coast in L.A., you know, uh, Bob Odenkirk and Margaret Cho and Patton Oswalt and that group and a little bit before them as well. Uh, started her own series called Uncabaret, Uncab, which has become very popular over the last few years. And I thought maybe it might be worthwhile to start talking with her about some of the themes of the original project that had led me to her, um, even if that project wasn't going to go any further. And we just really hit it off. Our first few talks, we talked for two or three hours. I just cold called her. Her manager connected me with her. And we had some mm. really great conversations. And it was clear that it was worth discussing a project. She was interested in doing something. I was interested in working with her um, and hopefully having her get some of her friends involved that would help make the project something that would be very marketable and really give it some substance. Um, and we, we started developing that project together. Uh, it went through many changes from what it originally was supposed to be. Um, I ended up not being as involved in it uh, as we had originally intended. Some of it was, you know, she was in L.A., I was out here. We actually only met once. I only met her at an uncapped show, like, much later down in the process. So we were always only talking over phone or email, even though we were working on this project together, and we had sold, um, you know, the concept and so forth um, and all that. But um, uh, also... COVID happened and I started getting involved with other projects and just things were taking a bit longer than we had intended because of all the craziness that was going on in 2020. And it ultimately became more of a kind of memoir of hers with some of her friends, still people like Bob Odenkirk and Margaret Cho and whatnot that she'd interviewed and talked to. And I was kind of helping her with going over some of the interviews after she was done with them and giving her some talking points and ideas. So I kind of was helping to, in the end, I ended up more as a producer than as a co-writer, co-author, and it became more of a personal project for her uh, just because we really didn't have the opportunity to meet up the way that we thought we could. And things just got mm -hmm. kind of crazy during 2020 and COVID. <laughs> but it did ultimately come out. It's called So You Need to Decide. Uh, Vulture Magazine, New York Magazine, uh, continually referred to it as one of the, the great comedy books of the year. It's, it's an interesting project, too, because it's an audio book only. It came out through um, uh, a recorded books, which I believe is the largest audio book company worldwide. Um, I can tell you, I won't say how much, but it was definitely one of the bigger advances that I've, I've been a part of. Uh, you know, most of it went to Beth as the real kind of driving force of what the project ended up being. But it was clear that they had a lot of faith in this and confidence just from the advance and from uh, some of the studio time that they gave Beth a little bit later on as COVID started to wane uh, and that kind of thing. So I, I was impressed with how it came together ultimately and the resources that Recorded Books put into it and the faith that they had in it even though it changed dramatically from what we originally wanted it to be. And we were kind of finishing it at a very difficult time uh, in our lives and in the global life, you know? So, yeah, that's, but that's how I got involved with Beth and that's the project that we did together. So you need to decide and, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Uh, people should check it out if they haven't yet. So, yeah. And uh, I remember seeing that, as you mentioned, on a publisher's lunch when they say who got a deal and was it a nice deal, a very nice deal. 
and the money, and I uh, saw it there. She'd shared it. Beth has been on this show a couple of times, and I took her writing course mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. two years ago, and uh, she's good. She's good. Yeah, she, uh, she was de- she's definitely a very interesting woman and person, and, uh, you know, there was a period, you know, as we kind of were, she was getting more involved in, in the project as more of a, of a personal effort, and I, just because of the amount of time that was being spent and, you know, funds and just everything else that I was doing, we were kind of uh, going our separate ways at a point, but uh, there was a period there, especially in the beginning, when we were really kind of hammering out what it would be, the original version of it where we got pretty close and, you know, we would just be talking with each other about all different kinds of things. And it was a really, we were kind of forging um, the relationship uh, on a personal level and in addition to a professional one, because we always knew there would be a lot of personal intimate material in there uh, Mm -hmm. coming from her and coming from the people that she brought on. Um, So, and we, we just said, you know, we'd be talking about movies and we'd be talking about music and um, I started watching some of her old material and would, would tell her about it. I've always been, well, not always, but I've been for quite some time um, a huge Sex and the City fan. And, of course, there is an episode that's very memorable that Beth is actually in because she was friends with a lot of the Sex and the City people, particularly creator Michael Patrick King, of course. And he he had her on, very you know featured quite prominently in a particular episode. It's actually the episode when, for those who watch, watch Sex and the City or are familiar with it, it's a pretty pivotal pivotal episode toward the end. It's where Carrie meets the quote-unquote Russian, played by Baryshnikov, and um, uh-huh. at, a, at an art showing that Beth is, is doing. She's Interestingly enough, uh, her whole act is not talking. It's just sitting there not moving, and um, they go back <laughs> to her multiple times, and it's, and it's Beth. And uh, it's funny to see that episode now because it's a series I watch regularly over and over again. I, I, I find it very smart and very comforting and just a show I enjoy watching sometimes. And uh, so whenever I get to that episode, it's funny to see <laughs> Beth uh, all up in her makeup and sitting there in, in an episode of Sex and the City. Yeah, so it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And uh, uh, doing this, it was a performance art. And, you know, she traveled. She was a performance artist professionally. For, oh, yeah. For no, she best, best, best really did it all. I mean, she yeah. was very involved. And I know, and as you said, she does writing classes. She does, she's very involved with yoga and spirituality. And yeah. she would talk often about astrology and the cosmos. And especially when a lot of the stuff was going on with COVID and whatnot, or even before that, when we were de- put, developing the, the, the audiobook project uh, and just some of the business dealings happening, we, we, it was partly why we were we became fairly close is we were we were very much partners in trying to get it going and doing everything we could together with our agent to make it happen. I mean, it, we, we spent, you know, a lot of people might not be aware of this, but even someone like Beth who has something of a cachet in the industry and who has, you know, her experiences and was bringing on all these big name people. And I'm, you know, no slouch either. I've done quite a lot just over the last few years since that project. But um, even up to that point, you know, I, I had a background. I mean, it was, it was actually my agent that we were working on because Beth didn't have necessarily a literary agent at the time. Um, and so, you know, together, it was still very, it took a long time for us to get something together that we could sell with our agent to one of the big publishers and even, you know, in the audiobook realm. Um, so we, we were very close and talking and she would bring up the point I'm getting at is she would bring up, you know, what was going on in the cosmos or planets or whatnot and talking about it. But she took it very seriously. She really, oh, yeah. when, when we were concerned about something or is this going to happen or is this meeting going to work out or how's that pitch going to go? She would 
put it in the context of what was going on uh, on a cosmos level, which I always found kind of interesting. And, and it just goes to show she really takes it seriously. She's very almost stoical and blasé about it. Like it was just the way that it was very pragmatic. She wasn't, um, it, it was just seeing it the way that it was, that, that it was as much a part of our reality as the weather or whatever else. And, and I thought that was always really uh, a bit of a trip to experience that. I've known a few other people in my life who, you know, uh, uh, are part of that lifestyle as well and, and who take a lot of that seriously. But this is the first time I was really collaborating with somebody who was so intent on it and would bring it up the same way that we would be talking about you know, what was going on with a tech issue we were having or, again, the weather or whatever, a flight to wherever. So, yeah, that was, that was oh, an really? experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. You said about the, the, the weather, the cosmos, that's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> my husband works in satellite communications, and sometimes when people get worked up about certain things, he'll say, well, what was the atmospheric condition at that time? <laughs> sure. Because he's involved yeah. in support for launching satellites, so people, well, this doesn't work, and that's not working, or whatever. Well, where is the satellite, and what are the conditions, <laughs> whatever. But, uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah, no, I met Beth the same way I met you, just reached out and asked, and she's, she's fantastic, and she's very, very uh, smart, but also very generous. And uh, I hope to get to see Uncabaret in person. I mean, I've watched the, uh, the Uncaba Zoom online mm-hmm. and I said my client did a live when Brandy Stillwell uh, was a writer and comic book creator but uh, yeah so well um, yes there there really are some people in the biz like yourself and and Beth that you know if you're working hard and you're you're out front and you don't have a hidden agenda will be very very helpful to you um, by the way, right now I am reading one of your books, and I got to tell you, I'm a fast reader, but this has taken me a while because there are so many things in there, and so many ways that you use words that I come back that I'll have to reread it. Going, oh, this is good. Maybe I should write this down. Maybe it's an ebook. Maybe I should highlight this and come back to it. Uh, <laughs> you, you started writing when you were very young, though, didn't you? Well, wait, you got to, wait, 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 you, you can't leave us uh, hanging like that. Which book is it? Which book are you talking about? Uh, oh, heck. Now, see, I got the name of Beth books wrong, and I'm going to get your book wrong, too. Um, Selling Nostalgia? Ah, yeah, yeah, that came out a few years ago. That, I feel like that was right before I met Beth was when that came out. Uh, that was an interesting experience, um, real quick, just because, uh, the way that it came together was, I mean, we're talking about the cosmos and whatnot with Beth. Um, I, I personally don't know what I think about a lot of that. Uh, I have respect for people who do, and I'm certainly open to it. I do, however, have a certain uh, connection to spirituality, I guess if you want to call it, what my mom would always call the universe, say, uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, or just the world as it is, Veltashong, if you will. And, um, I uh, do have some sense of things like kismet or serendipity. There's some degree of order. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, And I even think that sometimes the chaos, it seems like it exists as part of that, the way that 
And I, at a young age, I actually got very interested in chaos theory, mathematics, and such. I, of course, don't really fully understand it, never did. But the general ideas in it always really fascinated me, even as a younger person, and that it ultimately comes down to scaling and finding patterns and things that you might not think are patterns, that when you're looking uh, from far away, uh, it, may, it may look different than when if you look really close. And sometimes that's what it is where chaos it's really how we're looking at something. If you, and, and maybe if you go closer or far, farther away, suddenly you start to see the pa- patterns develop and you realize, oh, that's not chaotic. You were just looking at it from the wrong perspective. And that's a lot of mm. ultimately what chaos math is actually about. Um, and so I, 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 I feel that there is some degree of order sometimes in that regard. I had been in uh just finished a project i think this was maybe 2014 2015 um and i remember i was driving back from an event that i had produced in chicago it was at the time i was living in uh, baltimore so it's probably more like 2016 um and i had a 10-hour drive and i was making all these different calls to people and whatnot i prefer to drive rather than fly whenever i can i just like it better but i called my my agent at the time a different one than the one i worked with with beth and I had an idea to uh, do something a bit more mercenary, you know, a bit more commercial than I normally do. Um, and I said, what if we contacted a, a corporate entity and basically pitched them the idea of doing a book on certain aspects of their brand? Not directly. I wanted to still be creative um, and have them, you know, fund it or have them work with us at least to put their stamp on it so we could easily sell it for a large amount or something like that. And my agent, you know, he appreciated that idea. And he said, actually, we have something already that's been floating around the office. And there were some big clients uh, at that time, uh, Trevor Noah, Chris Hardwick, uh, Ernie mm-hmm. Klein, who did Ready Player One. Um, it, it was one of the bigger agents, agencies at the time, one of the bigger litter agencies. Um, they ran all these estates, I think the Kerouac estate, stuff like that. Um, and uh, so they had some pretty big connections, and he pitched me on a book on something called Mr. Skin uh, that I'd never heard of before, or at least hadn't thought of or remembered. And he was, he was telling me a little bit about it and that it was, you know, a project that they were going to be doing a book on. The 20th anniversary was coming up. The, the guy who started it was very interesting, blah, 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 blah. And I just jumped at it because I was like, oh, here's a great, you know, it's an assignment, some money, it's a project, it's something, you know, this sounds really fascinating, great. And we, we agreed and everything, and it was really one of those sitcom moments where at the end of everything I said, one more thing, what's Mr. Skin? And then he explained it to me. I actually thought maybe it was a condom company or something, like Trojan or whatever. I had no idea. And then it turns out it's it's a website that, you know, focuses a lot on nudity in cinema, but in a very tasteful kind of fun, happy-go-lucky way that everyone really appreciates, always very positive. And the way that I really realized what it was and remembered, and some of your listeners might remember as well, we even have a chapter on it, in the movie Knocked Up, the Judd Apatow movie, the first big movie that really blew up Judd Apatow's career the way that it did. I mean, he had done some other projects before and 40-Year-Old Virgin and whatnot, but the movie that really got him into the stratosphere, knocked up, and of course, people like Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill and others. Um, in Knocked Up, some people might remember, uh, Seth Rogen's character and Jonah Hill's and uh, Jason Segel's and, and those, the guys, all the, the, the guys that are friends in the house, the whole movie, they're, they're trying to make a website like this. And in fact, they, they at a point, Paul Rudd says, oh, like Mr. Skin, and they all get really upset and depressed when they realize that, that, that the idea is already there. And they even, you know, throw some nice 
accolades toward Mr. Skin and say, oh, they were talking about how cool it is and how good it is. And it really helped the company, the actual company, Mr. Skin, get going. And the reason Judd Apatow did that is, A, he wanted to have the guys have the most embarrassing job idea that, or, or project idea he could think of. So it was actually kind of a, a lark. And, and, and Jim McBride is his name, Mr. Skin, thought that was great. He thought it was funny. And he's that kind of guy, very cheery, very, very jovial. Everything's really funny. Uh, great family, great wife, great friends around him. He's a Chicago guy. He's got the accent the whole time. Just as sweet as can be. Um, and he thought that was hilarious. He even got to go to the premiere and, every, and all that kind of stuff. We talked about that in, in his book and the like. And uh, he had been regularly on Howard Stern doing some stuff with his Mr. Skin uh, website, just talking about, you know, different things. And, again, a lot of it's very campy, very John Waters, Russ Meyer type of, you know, all in good fun type of stuff, like a lot of puns and things like that. He was a regular, basically, on Howard Stern. And Judd <laughs> Apatow had heard him and thought, that is what I want my guys to do, is what he's doing for real. And it all worked out really well. Now, during the process of working on the book, um, I, again, became very close with Jim, and, and I, he had me, there's actually Mr. Skin office there in Chicago, a really cool part of town. And I really got friendly with a lot of the people that, you know, who, who worked for him. He had a, a, a staff about 40, 50 people, lots of different kinds, different ages, everyone doing different things. We'd go out and have drinks and lunch and stuff when I'd go there. It was, it was a really fun experience. I got very involved in their day-to-day of how they work and what they do. And, and, and Jim himself and his very lovely wife, Michelle, um, and, you know, some of the other family and friends. It was a great experience for a few months working on that. Um, at the same time, I was finishing – um, a different project, the Mark Summers documentary, and, and getting going with a tour of it that we were doing with Alamo Drafthouse and some other things. And I was just all during this time, I was having such a crazy experience with it all that really for my own benefit, this goes a little bit back with what you were about to say before I went into this whole screed here, that <laughs> I, I did start writing at a very young age. And there was definitely a time up until more recently, which is it's sort of sad to me, but um, for most of my life, I would write the way other people maybe play the guitar or paint or or go for really long runs. I mean, I, I do what I can for exercise, too. But writing was never a chore for me. It was never a job. I would get um, very uncomfortable and very nervous if I couldn't write. I've always had a little pocket notebook in my pocket with a pen. I still do to this day. Um, I am constantly writing and constantly thinking of ideas, or at least was but until more recently. Still a lot of ideas and, in my own way, a lot of writing. But I used to just my, – I was one of those people, like the way an art, you know, uh, an art kid would always be sketching in their, in their sketchbook. I was always writing. And so I developed a kind of autobiographical novel, if you will, a sort of Nathaniel West, Day of the Locust type of a novel – dealing with a lot of what I was going through at the time with all these different projects happening and different people. And it was just a lot of experience. Other things were going on in my life um, with just getting older. And it was, it was a wild, unique time. And I uh, transposed a lot of it into this novel that I was working on. Um, and before I knew it, I was getting close to finishing it. And the company that had ultimately published the Mr. Skin book uh, distributed by Simon and Schuster uh, they loved the skin book so much. I mean, they were, they were just telling me their copywriting, uh, the, the copy editing department, you know, they were, they, they were like, oh, we've never seen something this good. And I think a lot of people, too, didn't expect that a book on something as silly as Mr. Skin would be would turn out <laughs> as well as it did. And I kind of want, you know, I, that was sort of one of my motivations. Like, let me show them what we could do. This is not just going to be a toilet bowl book, you know, like it could have been so easily. 
And it would have yeah, been fine. Yeah. It probably would have, you know. I wanted it to be a real book. I wanted it to be something I would be proud of, something Jim would be proud of, and the other people at Mr. Skin, because I, I became friendly with them and realized they were all really good people, very creative, very smart. You know, I wanted it to, I wanted to showcase what Mr. Skin really is and what it really is about beyond the silly concept and that kind of thing. And we did that. The publisher was so pleased. I actually had one of those movie moments where they said, mm-hmm. we would love to work with you again. Do you have anything else? Like just that they asked me and I've really never had that happen before since quite like that. And I had this novel that was already getting finished. And what's funny is it was really one of those things where I was doing it for myself. I wasn't really anticipating publishing it. There was stuff in it I was worried I'd never be able to publish. I mean, it got pretty close to home on certain things. Um, It was very raw. But they said, you know, we normally don't do fiction or novels, but we want to work with you. And it was they basically made it clear, anything you give us, we'll we'll do something with. And they did. I got a decent little advance on it. Um, I worked with their editing department on cleaning it up. Um, I actually personally asked for a development editor to help me fix, you know, some things. And they brought somebody on Mm -hmm. who didn't even work at the company. She's actually somebody I've. Uh, Felicia Sullivan's her name. I've worked with her multiple times on things, and I've recommended her to friends, and that was how we met. And so they were really supporting me with bringing on personnel and staff. They really helped me shape it from this more kind of uh, autobiography, you know, diary type of a, a project to a, a real novel that's something that would be more universal. And um, they put it out. And honestly, I, I don't even know if some of the executives ever even read it or anything. I mean, it's just, they were, they kind of said, anything you give us, we'll publish. Cause we like, we like what you did with the skin book so much and we want to work with you again. And I really appreciated that they did that. It has an amazing cover that Adobe actually did. Um, you know, the, 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 gra- the graphic design, you know, the tech company, the software company that, that does uh, Photoshop and whatnot. They actually did this great piece on, four or five different book covers around the same time. And I mean, the other book covers were like big name authors. I think one was like Stephen King or something. I mean, it was very August, you know, selections and ours. And I was really honored to be part of the other people that were being talked about the authors and their books. But I was really proud of our graphic designer who I actually never met, never worked with, never talked to, but just did it. And it's such a great cover that they, that, that it was featured in this, you know, kind of industry newsletter that Adobe mm-hmm. did about um, four or five particularly well-made covers, well-designed covers. And we, we were really happy about that. It was really cool just to get that, that side of it. It's something that had nothing to do with me. I didn't have anything to do with the design. It wasn't anything to do with the book itself or whatnot. I was just proud mm-hmm. that the book was literally jacketed by something that was getting – uh, its own critical uh, accolades, and deservedly so. Very, very cool cover. I love the cover of Selling Nostalgia. It might be one of my favorites. The spine, for those who haven't seen it, in particular, looks like an old, speaking of Mr. Skin again, looks like an old VHS tape spine where you'd put, like, the, the, the white label on it and you'd write, you know, the name of the movie, you know, Christmas 96 or something in marker. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, he did it very well, and it goes very well with the spine of the book. Just little little affectations like that that made the cover something very special. So I'm very proud of that book um and um yeah i'm glad that you're reading it's it's probably the book of mine one of the books i have had some books that have done very very well and i've had some books that nobody's ever heard of or read um all in between <laughs> and across many different genres and markets and so forth selling nostalgia is definitely on the lower end which has always been a little disappointing to me i understand why 
novels and fiction, unfortunately, don't really do very well in this day and age unless you are like a Stephen King or somebody like that, which is fine. It's the way it is. But um, I'm, I am, it's a project I'm proud of, mainly just because it's probably my most personal. I, I really don't oh, – so many oh, people now. I can feel Stephen that. Death thing. Yeah, I mean, you could tell. I mean, and people who know me, you know, they know. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's it, they they know what's going on. And my wife at the time, she, you know, is that is very much like the character in there, and you know, she loves the book as well, and and loves the story kind of being told about us and that kind of thing, and some of those elements. There's definitely a lot that's dramatized and fictionalized, and char- people that I know have been combined or I invented characters. I mean, it is a novel. But um, and I even have little surreal moments to kind of make sure that that's punctuated, that people know that it's it's fiction. There's little cartoonish moments here or there, and that kind of thing. I did that intentionally for that reason to kind of pop that bubble. Um, but <laughs> yeah, really. uh, you know, these these days, everyone there's so many, there's so much popularity about memoir, and even Beth's you know project mm-hmm. became more of a memoir for her, and a lot of graphic novels are more memoir based, and, and YA novels are more about you know memoir. A lot of documentaries now, even about another subject, the filmmaker tends to inject himself or herself into it more often these days, and it's almost expected now. And I don't, I don't normally do that. I'm someone who doesn't do that. And so selling nostalgia is also a unique picture in my larger oeuvre just because I normally don't do something that is so personal and, and is like a memoir. And I, I'm normally telling other people's stories, especially with my nonfiction work. I mean, that's a lot of what I do. Oh, yeah, I can tell it's personal. Um, I mean, not, even if I didn't know what you had done before, I could tell because I've worked in entertainment publicity for a couple of decades, and I see the people. I know what, I know who you're talking about. I know the people that are just hiring young people uh, just because they're cuter <laughs> and then things yeah. don't get done. Um, and one yeah. of the, I think one of the expressions I heard today, it's kind of like you've got these things that are like triplets, um, is how I think of them, and I'll stop myself and go back and read and go, okay, I'm going to write that down. Uh, one of them is clone, drone, trolls. Huh. And I think that was I something about like maybe a, at a Comic Con, you described uh-huh. some people as clone, drone, trolls because they were just a little bunch. They were interchangeable. They looked alike, I think. But anyway, this is a good time to stop and say, if you have a question or a comment from Matthew Clickstein, I'm sure Matthew will be happy to take the call and answer your question, um, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. I, I, All right. I, I mean, is this pretty? I, I, I'm not. I'm actually. I'll, I'll admit it. I'm, I'm not really familiar with your show, and so I, when when they said that there would be Collins, when I was like, okay. I mean, you know, is, <laughs> is that pretty frequent? Does that actually happen? Or, you know, is it you know what? I mean, I'm always happy to, but I mean, I don't. <laughs> well, I've got people messaging me, and I've got a call waiting. And I got to tell you this: there's something about I, I, I have really, really been lucky with this. Uh, my audience, and most of us in the U.S., some in South America, some in the Netherlands. Uh, I think as I went there twice for the um, IBC, this a, a big uh, media broadcast convention, and mm-hmm. so I've got Netherlands and uh, and and Japan. So. People are messaging me and things like, uh, uh, so are you going to take calls? Um, I haven't heard you say anything yet. Did you just snort? Somebody somebody just asked me, did you just snort? And I went, uh, (laughs) oh, never mind, you were laughing. Okay, I do snort when I laugh, Matthew. Don't take it the wrong way. Uh, No, no, no. Hey, it's like Chrissy on Three's (laughs) Company. I love it. Yeah, but my listeners, sometimes they'll 
if they don't know who the guest is, they'll read yeah. up on it, and then by the time the show comes, they know a lot more than I do. Or they'll listen, and then at the very end, they won't call in. They'll say, why didn't you ask them this? Why didn't you ask them that? Well, why didn't you call in? I'm oh, sure. Yeah. So that's cool, yeah. too, you know, because <laughs> then I'll start getting yeah, back to after. Okay, here's a call. Uh, the first one. Uh, hi, welcome to Madam Perry Salon. You're on the phone with me at Matthew Clickstein. So say hello. Tell us who you are. Hello, hello, hello. Can y'all hear hi. me? Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Well, first of all, I have to say it's a great name, Mr. Matthew. That's my name as well. Oh, great. Is it also spelled <laughs> with one T, the way mine is? <laughs> oh, actually, it is not two Ts. But you know, half the time people spell it with one T, or they call me something totally different. Huh. Yeah, no, I, I actually uh, my, mine has one T in it. It was uh, it's actually how it's spelled, which is always a lot of fun to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I've ever really been across another mass, a Matthew with one T, so that's very interesting. I have to say. Yeah, we try. And by the way, I got I, I gotta say I do love the movie Knocked Up as well. I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Great movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so my question to you. Uh, I was hoping you'd have some advice for a, a writer as myself. See, I, I grew up writing and stuff, especially in school and stuff. I loved writing. However, as I got older, it kind of like I haven't got back into it. I have crazy ideas, but I'm also very bad at grammar and stuff, and I just it kind of like kills it for me sometimes. And I just want to know if you had any inspiration for me. Yeah, I mean, what's great about writing and really all kinds of art forms, uh, whether you're making music or painting or even photography or filmmaking, um, is that there really are no strictures. There really are no limitations. There really are no rules. There's no how to do it. Uh, it's not like math. It's not like being a doctor. It's not like becoming a lawyer and having to memorize all these cases and so forth and having to follow all of these edicts and, and protocol when you're in the courtroom and, and rules of how to work with your client. With art, and particularly writing, because it, it's so much more free-flowing um, that uh, you don't have to worry so much about the grammar and the spelling. If you find a great story and you figure out a way to tell it through the right voice, that is either your character's voice or your personal voice or the voice of someone else or, or you want to emulate someone who actually existed or exists, George Washington or Britney Spears or the president or whomever, um, you can do whatever you want with that. And as long as it is compelling, as long as you're enjoying the process of expression and putting it down there, I think that that will come through a lot of the time. And A, other people will pick up on that enjoyment of how much you, you were delighting in the process of actually expressing yourself and writing and creating all of that that they are now consuming or absorbing. But also, even if they don't, you will have enjoyed the process of creating yourself so much that you'll want to keep doing it. It can be very much like a high. It can be very much it is very physical. Yeah. So focus. Fo- that's what I would say. Yes. Look, you want to always educate yourself, and you know, it, it, there's ways of learning more, obviously, about grammar and spelling and and syntax and all that. But I'll tell you, I myself, I never really uh, focused on that. And, you know, I've edited friends' writings and books and screenplays and such, but mostly from a story point of view. I couldn't be, you know, a high school English teacher, say. I I don't know all the 
verbiage for you know uh, uh, participle and all these other things. I mean, I have a big yeah. That's my problem. <laughs> yeah. So I and, and and a lot of people I know are the same way. I love writing. I take it very seriously. Um, I'm very interested in the lives of authors. I uh, love listening to and watching lectures and that kind of thing. And I read a lot of autobiographies and biographies. And I have a lot of friends who are writers who I ask questions of about how to do certain things. So it's not that I'm not working hard to learn and hone my craft. I just, that's how much I don't think those mechanics that can be very helpful. And it's good to, to pick your nose or, you know, pick, pick around in it and really put your nose in there and really kind of do what you can with it. But, um, you know, I, I don't think it's essential. You can drive a car really well without necessarily knowing how to build the car. Uh, you know, it helps if you have some ideas yes. of how the car is put together. But, you know, I, they, they are two different things. And um, I, I would just say focus on how much you enjoy the writing. And perhaps if you're lucky enough, you enjoy other people reading your writing, maybe at this level, maybe just friends family members, you know, if you want to put stuff online, if you want to try to get uh, material published and, and see how much you enjoy that also and do it for the love of actually writing. Um, if, if you're not enjoying that part of it, if, it, if you're forcing yourself, if it's a chore, you know, you have to ask yourself, is this really what you want to be spending your time on? Or maybe do you want to focus on other things? Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, find, find the love of the writing and don't worry about, the semant, you know, the semantics or the the syntax or the, uh, you know, suffixes and prefixes and all that. Just write and tell a great yeah. story and have some great characters and see what happens. Yeah, true. I mean, the only person holding me back is myself. So, you're right. It's great advice. I do appreciate everything. And who knows? I might start this week. You never know. <laughs> okay. You got you to gotta, you gotta just sit down and do it. Is all I would say. And I, and you know, just to wrap it up. It's it's the same thing as as people who are trying to lose weight, or people who are training for a sport, or or you know climbing a mountain, or it there it, there really is truth to that first step. And once you get into it, you it it does become addictive. It does become like a drug. It does become physically and on a visceral level something that you don't have to do. It's something you want to do, um, and it becomes something that you can't stay away from even like playing a video game or watching a movie or reading a book that you love. You really want to get oh, back yeah. to your writing. Yeah. It's just a matter of, get, of, of getting going and then just going down that slide and just enjoying the ride. Well, thank you. I, right. I have to say that that's great advice. I do appreciate it. And thank you very much. Right. Thanks for calling yeah, Matthew. Sure. Oh, no problem. Right. And y'all have a wonderful night. Thank you. You too. Thanks. And you too. All right. Um, Good call. Uh, I've got a couple of messages, folks. It's going to take uh, 90 seconds. And uh, Mr. Clickstein, this would be a good time to whatever you got to do, get a glass of water or something. And uh, I've got a message, and we'll be back in about 90 seconds. You doing good, Matt? I am. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Oh, good, good. Okay. All right. Let's see. Just one moment. Salutations! Captain Medea Ashra here cordially inviting you to attend the International Steampunk Symposium Circus-themed event, Steampunk Under the Big Top, happening from June 16th through the 18th at the Holiday Inn Eastgate in Cincinnati, Ohio. We have Freak Show Deluxe coming, and our afternoon fairway will have games, curiosities, balloon artists, prizes, and so much more. 
Madame Askew and the Grand Arbiter are coming from out west, bringing with them compliment dueling, which is only one of the Steampunk Olympiad games that will be going on throughout the weekend. You can come dressed up or casual, but should you want to get kitted out, we have over 40 amazing vendors on site. With the popularity of our afternoon tea in past years, this year we'll be offering two high tea events on Saturday. After our fashion show Saturday evening, our gothic masquerade starts out with dance lessons, and we have not one, but two amazing DJs on stage. To make things even more exciting, with it being Father's Day weekend, children under 18 will be admitted for free on Sunday with the purchase of an adult ticket. Head on over to SteampunkSymposium.com to get your TN convention tickets, book a room, and find out more information about our event. And don't forget, life is a circus. Enjoy the show. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic, I, I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing, was the Madame Paris Salon. I mean, this podcast, right, when you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh, right? When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the dog, I'm like, she's going to an interview. And I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? Has the mission been completed? You know that I have the greatest enthusiasm for it. All right. This is Madam Perry, JP, Jennifer Perry, here with Matthew Clickstein. I am so excited to have you here, Matt. Are you still Thank with you. me? Yeah. Uh, okay. I am. And yeah, no, that that's that steampunk uh, carnival sounds actually really cool. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm uh some people on Facebook I met about 10 years ago kept trying to talk me into it, talk me into it and uh, come in and I thought I didn't know what it was or whatever. And then I finally went one time. They said, "Okay, you can come do a uh you can come do a presentation about uh, about doing a podcast. So that was the first time I went, and I have been going to Tucson every year since 2017 for uh, Wild Wild West Con. Or oh. I, let me let me tell you this, uh, Matthew. You'll appreciate my husband. When the first one of the times when I was going, they used, have you been to Tucson? I think I've been to Tucson. I've been all mm. over Arizona, but I can't remember if I've actually been to Tucson or I'm probably driven through it. But I don't think okay, I've spent actual time there. All right, they have a place called Old Town, Old Town Tucson, and it's actually a little western village where a lot of television shows and films were made. Um, all I can think mm. of right now is Rio Bravo, you know, with John Wayne oh. and Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they used to have it there every year. So it's been a hotel and we go there. And so it's Western, so you got a little Western, you got steampunk, and then whatever the theme is. And I remember telling my husband, see, honey, it's much better than being in a hotel because being in a Western village, we don't look out of place. And I remember he was, we were in bed, he was reading, and he just nodded and said, well, okay, you just keep telling yourself that. So <laughs> uh, That's funny. Uh, yeah. So, uh yeah, that's what I said. The the uh, with the when we first news broke about the pandemic um, in that March, we were there, and I remember we were leaving. That was the last time we were actually got to the in the old town Tucson, in our little cowboy village. And Matthew, I know you'll see why this means why this this to me was just 
I've got some intrigue, was that um, there we were in a little western town in our steampunk gear. Um, I forget what the theme was that year. It might have been Monsters versus Robots or something like that. Uh, and we all leave on, we got the whole weekend, we all leave on Sunday afternoon. We all file out. Everybody goes home to wherever they live, whatever country, because we had people from New Zealand. We had an Italian steampunk band performing. We all go home. Time changes that same day. By the time we get home, everything's different. Everything's shut down. The band oh, yeah. go back to Italy, <laughs> to Italy. They get off. The, they're here with all these wacky. I said, "Oh my gosh, it's just so, it was just to go from that world to everything being shut down." <laughs> yeah, that must have been yeah, wild. Yeah. Um, I've got another caller here for you. And also, also, I forget. I forgot to mention, if you can't make a phone call, I don't know, Matthew, you know, we all have situations where we can't make a phone call because we're at work or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can always send your question in by messenger on Facebook, either to Madam Perry Salon or to Jennifer Maudette Perry, and I'll share it. And so I think this, oh, this might be somebody from Chicago by this area code. Hi, welcome to Madam Perry Salon. You're on the line with me and Matthew Clickstein. Hello, it's me, Peter G., your favorite Polish animator. All right. <laughs> Peter G., doing, our favorite Peter? Polish animator. Doing great, doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, I was listening to the show, and I got, a, I got an interesting question, because given the diversity and the history of all the things that he's done, what is your biggest uh what is your biggest obstacle to actually getting something into production done is it meeting with uh, is it uh is it meeting with the money people is it uh gathering up the uh the creative staff what is your biggest challenge with with uh with creating and getting your work out uh well first of all that's a great question i and i look forward to answering it shortly but second of all i have to ask real quick now are you an animator who's polish or are you literally animating polish people this is what i want to know <laughs> uh, I'm, good question uh those two things uh they're on standby <laughs> got it i i I'm a, i am polish living in the chicago area and i just enjoy what making cartoons and i enjoy putting little polish references in my work too so very proud of oh, the that sounds great kielbasa man um, all right. Well, I uh, appreciate all that. And um, I, great question, really. I, I'm, uh, and, and well said. Uh, it, it is challenging. I mean, it's, it's funny. I always say the actual quote unquote work, the writing, the producing, um, doing things like this, that's the easy stuff. I could do it in my sleep. Um, that's not work. The work is allowing me to be in moments like this, is allowing me to be able to be quote unquote working on a book, knowing it's going to get made or published, knowing that I'm going to be able to get money for it or I already have. I mean, typically I can't work on a project unless I'm getting some kind of an advance because it's what I'm living off of. I'm like a pulp novelist from the 30s to the 60s. I mean, they were all just jumping from project to project. That's why people like Philip K. Dick still have books that are getting published years after he died because he had to keep writing because he was living off of advances for those little, you know, dime novel, 99 cent novel type of pulp books. Um, So for me, 
Um, I do see that part of it as the real work, uh, selling a project, getting a project going. And you're right. Um, it's extremely challenging. And part of what, what it is, I would say more than anything, um, is first and foremost, it's completely inconsistent. What worked yesterday does not work today and will not work tomorrow. And you could, I've worked with a lot of the same people more than a few times, which I felt very lucky about, but you, you never can totally trust that that's going to be able to happen. You might have a great experience with a group of people or a person or an editor. You guys create a project that you both really love, maybe that does well, and you may, you may never hear from that person ever again. Um, or you may not want to, or you just, you know, nothing else comes together. Other things that you want to do is completely out of that person's wheelhouse or he or she leaves for another job or whatever it might be. So there is no real consistency um, when you're going from project to project. I refer to it sometimes as it's like the water is rising all around us and I'm jumping from deflating brightly colored beach ball to deflating brightly colored beach ball. Um, it's not even like a frog on lily pads. Like these things are, are shrinking as I'm going from one to the next. And finding that next ball, knowing which one's going to last the longest and keep me afloat a little longer, that is the hardest part. And you just don't know uh, where to go, which project to work on, especially when we're talking about some of these projects can take two to four years, sometimes more. It's a lot of investigation. It's a lot of interviews. Um, it's a lot of, you know, having to depend on other people uh, as far as getting connected to those people, making sure that they are on time and doing the interviews or not flaking or not sick or whatever it is. It's a lot. So you never really know which way to go and, and what's going to happen. And it can feel very much like a risk. So I would say the hardest part is how inconsistent and chaotic it is. Um, and that's just for the part so that you can do the fun stuff of the writing. That's never a problem for me or producing. I'll, I'll edit and make little videos. My wife and I did this during COVID. We were just making little short films as something to do the way that other families, again, maybe would do a sing-along or, you know, paint or play video games or whatever. I mean, we did some of that other stuff too. But we made a number of videos just because we wanted to for fun. You know, we weren't – and, I, you know, I'm not a big social media guy or anything like that. I wasn't really – you know, I sent it to a few friends. But we just liked making things. Um, and so to get to that point where you can play like that and just make a video because you want to or just write a book because you want to, um, getting to that point is the hard part. And that's the, that's the part that's so inconsistent and chaotic, the business part, so that you can spend two years working on a book because you're not worried so much about paying for your rent. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, it's the inconsistency and the chaos. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for calling, Peter G. And, You're uh, very welcome. Thanks very much. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Always Appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> He's one of our regular listeners, and uh, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, there's one thing before I know it's, I know I've got to let you go soon, uh, and there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but one thing I have to say thank you for is – no, you write books in, in all areas, genres, ghost writing, uh, adults, children, whatever. A couple of weeks ago, my guest was Shelly Smalls, and we were talking about, this is before, um, we, she's worked, she coordinates, produces film festivals in Atlanta, um, 
like the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival and such, and she's also a burlesque performer, just to give you a picture. But we were talking about, I was talking about uh, you coming up and telling the listeners, you know, what kind of things you've worked on and written. And one of the things that I mentioned was uh, something that you've got in progress right now, and it's called The Marx Brothers Make a Gookie. Um, It's a children's book about uh, entertain and educate them about the Marx Brothers. Correct. And so Shelley said, oh, my gosh, that is so exciting. I've got to see that. I've got to see that. I've got to check that book out. I've got to know when it's out. And she says, I'm such a Marx Brothers fan. I said, really? She says, yeah. She goes, actually, I've got a book um, called Harpo Speaks. I love and Harpo you... Speaks. It's it's a really great. It's one of the great autobiographies ever. And it's particularly good amongst the Marx Brothers books. There's a lot of books that the other brothers did or that have been written about them, but everyone can pretty much agree. If you really want to learn about the Marx Brothers, your best bet, aside from obviously watching the movies and their other shows and whatnot, is Harpo Speaks is is the best book about the Marx Brothers for sure. It's it's the quintessential one. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Every Marx Brothers fan has a copy of it in his or her library, for sure. I mean, and it's just, it's, it's shorthand. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you know, if you're a Marx Brothers fan, you've got, uh, you've got a copy of Harpo's speech. You've so got to have it or you know of it. Yeah. Well, I was just so delighted when she said that because she said, okay, I got to listen. I got I to gotta hear about this book. I hear about this guy. And when she told me that, I said, I'm, I'm interested in that, Shelley, because if you were here in my home and you walked in, on my nightstand by the bed, one of the books I have there is Harpo Speaks. Sure. There you go. See? Absolutely. So I, a, yeah. yeah. So it's like Harpo is so – I love the Mark Brothers, but Harpo has such an endearing quality about him. And Yes. And it is a great he book. was very literary, too. I mean, this actually goes back to I, – I hope the listener who called first is hearing this because this goes exactly back with what I was just saying. Harpo is – uh, a true, uh, you know, light as far as that is concerned. Because as you probably know, just from knowing about Harpo, or he talks about this in the book, he was pretty illiterate and could, had trouble spelling and, and was not a big reader or anything like that. And yet his ability to tell stories in mind the way that he did and with other, uh, you know, showing a tattoo on his chest or honking a horn, he's able to get across story and character without even writing or talking at all. And on top of that, as you probably know, and anyone who's a fan know, he hung out with the, the preeminent um, a literary crowd of his time. I mean, they were the people, it was the Algonquin Circle. He was part of that. They loved him. And these are some of the most important writers in the American idiom ever. They were people who created The New Yorker. It's George S. Kaufman writing all these plays and Alexander Wolcott and eventually Dorothy Parker, mm-hmm. of course. He, he was part of that. I mean, a lot of people don't realize. And there really weren't any other non-writers. Everyone else was very strictly a journalist or a reporter, playwright, a critic, Harpo was really the only one who was not a writer. Uh, uh, you know, there was a couple of artists and things that sort of revolved around them, but Harpo was very deeply inside that. So here is a guy who has trouble spelling throughout his entire life and so forth and was never really educated to writing or reading or whatnot in, in a more traditional way. But he was too young. You know, they were, on, they were doing vaudeville already as kids. Um, and yet he was... Uh, he was uh, he was part of the literati of his time and of, of probably oh, yeah. many times. Yeah. Yeah. 
there they were. And, you know, and, and I guess that's another reason why I'm so glad to see you make this for children is because I'm such an aficionado of the uh, uh, Algonquin Roundtable at the writers, and I collect all the books I can find by them and about them, like, you know, Big Sir sure. and Stephen J. Perelman, Edna Ferber. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Ferber. Oh, and I, oh, Giant is amazing. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. And I, I sometimes feel that as, as time goes on, it's like the ship has gotten so far from the shore that people can't even see that there was a lighthouse there Absolutely. and a lot going on. That's exactly and I right. don't want these people to be forgotten, and I'm so grateful no. to you. Well, that's why that's why we wanted to do it. And yeah, you're you're talking about. Uh, I have a few projects that we're finishing right now, and a few that'll be coming out shortly. But I have a few others that I yeah are still very much in the development stage. But I'm working with Scott Shaw, uh, who is one of the co-founders of Com- of San Diego Comic Con, oh, and yeah. was very involved in a series of. Um, all different kinds of cartoons. He was he was uh, uh, he was at Hanna Barbera for a long time. He also did a lot of stuff at DC Comics and other comic book companies. He you know did some of the Simpsons comic book issues and things like that. Uh, he was very involved with Muppet Babies and the John Candy cartoon uh, Camp Candy, as well as a few others. Like he he was very involved in anything animation and comics and such through the 80s and 90s. Um, and now he's more of a kind of uh, an elder statesman of the scene and gives a lot of advice and, and does a lot of workshops and seminars. He's very involved in teaching even kids um, and that kind of thing. And, of course, he shows up at all the conventions and, and that kind of thing But and does, you know, a lot of still his own work as well. But he is, has become very involved in teaching and in spreading the legacy of what he's done and what he knows. And not just the technique, but, yes, the history. It's very, the history is extremely important for him. Um, and so when you're learning from him and when you're working with him and talking with him, he's constantly bringing up the names of these people and things that they've done. And he does shows at Comic-Con every year, Oddball Comics and others, where he's actually uh, shedding light on more obscure uh, uh, characters and, and creators and that kind of thing. It's very, very important for him. It's one of the things I really love about Scott. And so we, we talked about doing this because I said, as you just said, that it's a shame that the next generations really aren't learning about things like the Marx Brothers um, or the Three Stooges, for that matter, or Jackie Gleason. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I won't lie, a lot of a lot of them that I think about are Jewish ones. And in fact, I ended up doing my last project was the little encyclopedia of Jewish culture. That that came to me as an assignment, but to some people I was pitching the Marx Brothers project to, they didn't want to do that for various reasons. But they said, hey would you be interested in this Jewish culture encyclopedia for the same reason, which is I want to make sure that people will remember and know who George Burns is because it's very important mm-hmm. to me, but also to the culture at large, even beyond the Jewish community to just the history of comedy, of television, of radio. People really should know who George Burns is. And there's not a real push uh, for that in the schools or even in, you know, pop culture circles and whatnot. He's, he's, his name's not getting used as much. And I would agree with you that very sadly, the Marx Brothers are starting to get to that point. Uh, they definitely still get talked about by a lot of comedy people. And, and I think a lot of people have at least heard of the Marx Brothers, but they're not watching the Marx Brothers like they used to. And they're not really engaging in it like they used to or that like they could or should. And I'll tell people that all the time. I'll say, you should be watching this not just for the history, 
but also because it will teach you things about comedy and timing. A lot of what we were just talking about mm-hmm. with Harpo, for example, I would use Harpo as an example for maybe an actor I might be working with or, or talking with somebody about a, a character they could write that would, that would maybe not talk or that would use visual elements and that kind of thing. So Scott and I wanted to do that with the Marx Brothers and specifically, explicitly for kids. So it will be a children's book, picture book and everything, just like Berenstein Bears and whatnot. We have it pretty much laid out. We know what the idea is. Um, Scott wants to go really crazy with it, as do I, with some very <laughs> surreal moments, very Dolly-esque, some of the stuff that they always wanted to do but never really did, things with giraffes and whatnot. We really want to have a good time with it and make it almost a little bit cartoonish but still respectful of not only the Marx Brothers but of the time in which they existed. So it's not going to be this mm-hmm. modern contemporary version of it. We both really hate that kind of thing. Um, but we will have a bit more of a, for kids, you know, quote unquote, more of a playful element to it, but it will be of the, of the period. And that's really important for both of us. So it'll feel like it's something that maybe came out in the thirties or forties um, with that kind of little extra. Um, so we're really excited about it. And I, Scott's been drawing some pictures up. He's been busy with some other projects I have as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely something that we're picking at on the side for sure. Oh, fantastic. I just I had a message come in. Uh, Pat, who is in Missouri, said, I'm, I'm loving the show. This is great. Thank you for having him on. Uh, and she's planning to get some of your books. I also just had a message come back in. Somebody who's been listening in Hawaii. Uh, wow. Saying, uh, sounds great show. Thank you. And, uh, Matthew, I, there's just, I hate to feel like I'm just disrespecting your body of work by not being able to mention but a fraction of it within this hour. But I do hope you'll come back sometime because this has just been fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. No, for sure. This was fun. And I have to say thank you to your listeners. I'm not going to lie. I'm very – I'm humbled and a little surprised that people are calling from all over the country for this. I, you know, I don't really get to have that kind of experience usually. So, you know, thank you. You guys are making me feel like, you're, you know – a little something special. That's kind of nice. I'm not going to lie. No, I, that kind of thing doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate um, to have the people that agree to come on the show like you, the guests, as well as the listeners I have. Oh, and also Juliana, who was in Brazil. Um, thank you, Juliana, uh, for listening. And I just couldn't be a luckier gal, could I? Thank you so very much, Matthew Clickstein. Did I say your name right the whole time? Yep. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Wonderful. Yep. Thank you. All right. Please wish you uh, the best in all your endeavors. Uh, Thank you. And please come back again. And to don't forget, folks, uh, Lynn Barker uh, is going to be here next week uh, talking about her new book that she wrote with uh, D.C. Fontana. You know D.C. Fontana. Me? Yeah. Oh, oh I, I thought you were still talking kind of in the audience. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't think I ever met her personally or talked to her personally, but I, um, uh, you know, definitely know who she is, and we have pictures of her with her Star Trek getup, and uh, definitely a lot of information about her and how beloved she is by the Comic Con scene in the Comic Con book that I did see you at San Diego, and I think I might have, she might have been in an email thread I was on, or I was talking with one of her family members about something that that had to do with the book. And I feel like she was on that, or, but I could be wrong. But I, I definitely know of her and have a lot of respect for her. I bring that up quite a lot, the work that she did on Star Trek and whatnot. Everyone, she's another one. Everyone should know who she is 
And I'm glad that we yeah. didn't talk about her in the book because she should really be honored and appreciated, um, not only for being, you know, a woman in that scene, but just the work that she did anyway, regardless of that. But even historically, the fact that she was uh, so dominant behind the scenes of TV and sci-fi and Star Trek and whatnot as a woman, which was, you know, still pretty rare back then. Historically, that's also really, people should be very aware of how she broke ground, you know, historically as well as aesthetically. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody watching Mrs. Maisel who thinks that that was just, um, uh, a silly thing they put in about her getting with the writers and them not letting take taking any of her jokes. Yeah, it's it's it was real. It was real and still is yeah. in some places. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I just have a picture of Lucy and Lynn became such good friends. They for fun were both in the same um, belly dance group or troop sure. out in Arizona. And I posted a picture uh, to promote that show. It's that Lynn sent me is a picture of Lynn Barker, DC Fontana, both in their belly dance costumes and in the center of the picture is Gene Roddenberry and I put oh, that wow. out say can anybody name these people and I got everything from Tony Orlando and Dawn to <laughs> I don't know who the guy is but those are the aren't those the two gals from uh uh Laverne and Shirley so anyway <laughs> oh, that's funny all right. Thank you so much, Matthew Clickstein. Clickstein. I got all the way to yep, the very yep. end and messed it up. All the way to the end, yeah. I'm yep, ashamed. Okay. I'm so ashamed. Yeah, no, Thank no, you no. All. Okay. I will be sharing uh, links uh, to get to Matthew Clickstein's books and all of his work, everything you could possibly want to buy of his, which I think is pretty much everything I will be sharing on all of my social media, not just Madam Perry's salon, but on my personal too. So uh, for everybody sending stuff in still saying, where do I get this? Where do I get this? Damn, did I miss this? Uh, No, you did not miss it. Uh, Scott, you did not miss it. I will be sharing it everywhere. So everybody, please uh, be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. I think you're all wonderful. And thank you again, Matt. And I'm going to close with my favorite saying. Everybody's got to swing. Love you, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. DW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.